growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. Hello, and once again, you are back on season two of the GTM Cheat Code, as we're now calling it. I'm joined once again by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Josh Wagner. What up? What up? So we've got a great guest here for us today as we continue down this this path of partnerships. Obviously, season two is anchored in. Uh, He, I mean, he's done this so many times, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a quick trip in the Wayback Machine at Drift, at Terminus, now the co-host with uh, some random woman, I don't know if he knows her at all, uh, at the, the the Friends with Benefits podcast, which yeah. is great. I, I was on that last year uh, now, which is a, a great time. Also the co-founder of Arcadia, Jason Yarborough. Welcome to the show. Hello. Mr. Yarby. Hello. Thank you, guys. Hello. What's happening? It's good to be here Jason, with you. what is up? Josh, I've heard you called a lot of things, but never illustrious, so I like it. Yes, yeah, this will be the only yeah. time. It'll, it'll probably be the last time too. Yeah, it'll probably be the last time. So, hang on what's up one. with bringing some random women on your podcast? That's cool. You know, just you know, if you find these people in these communities, you want to bring them in, you adopt them, and just—I'm just kidding. She is that your play? Just a wilderness woman <laughs> in the in the you know the plains of Montana. That's it, man. Met her. She said she's from Montana, and I was like, "Marry me." That's all I needed. <laughs> We're gonna start a podcast and make it weird. So That's speaking it. of yeah, speaking of value forward relationships, uh, so we had a chance to talk a little bit about your cheat code as it relates to partnerships, which I think is is so critical. So, Jason, without ado, lead us down the path of of your ultimate partnership cheat code. Oh man, the back back, left left right right, A B A B play, <laughs> thirty lives. <laughs> so yeah, there's a there's been a couple of, of cheat codes that I've been able to, I don't want to call them master, but I've been able to learn and effectively execute on. One has allowed me to start this company, Arcadia, and that's really how do you incorporate the partner program into what the sales team and marketing team is doing, right? My, like what I was calling this the drift was how to be fully and natively incorporated into the field team's daily activities. Really, it's what Josh and I talk about with, the, with our port codes all the time, which is like, you have to find mutual value and you have to integrate that go-to-market motion in a way that that makes sense for the partner the customer and obviously your organization so that, that that's why i love this so yeah. much i think what, what's that look it, like man. functionally functionally it's um <laughs> it's a lot of time training the sales <laughs> team spending time with them every week I, you know as a leader at both drift and terminus i probably spent I, i'll it wouldn't be a stretch to say i spent about 70 percent of my time enabling training meetings spending time with the sales leaders the sellers and helping them identify you know how to get those wins but more so at drift andy cochran and i spent a ton of time trying to figure out how to operationalize uh, at the time the crossbeam data that we had because it was cool to have that widget inside of salesforce but everybody was like oh that's a partner toy they'll take care of it and i was like <laughs> I'll be daggum if I'm going to be, be your glorified BDR. So we're going to build some process around this and how you can actually take action against it. So we built actual 
task and workflows around that data, around how they could begin to build partners into the work that they were doing from a prospecting standpoint. So they were beginning to identify the accounts that were owned by a partner, and they would begin to trigger this workflow that allowed them to, to connect with the, the partner and get the relevant data, whether it was an intro, intel, or influence that they wanted from the partner to better serve that customer. And you just mentioned something about the customer earlier, and I think <clears throat> it's there's a lot of value in trying to identify like where this works best for the customer. Like when you're trying to go to market with a partner, you're trying to nail this, you know, JVP. It's it's got to work for the customer, not just for you, the singular business. So ex like, explain you know, that explain that acronym for our audience because I think it's super important. The JVP, which, the JVP, uh, the mm -hmm. Joint Value Proposition, or in you know, to kind of bring it down to a lower level, it's it's, it's a better together story. Like, how are you yep. guys better together? Like, what are you building? What's the value prop of why, you know, Drift and Sixth Sense work so well together for the customer? And then how do you effectively take that messaging and put it out in the market so that, you know, your mutual customers, your prospects, their customers begin to truly understand it? And then how do you take that message internally and come to the sales team? It's like, hey, here's the reason why you want to work with this partner. Here's why it's so great for the customer. And here's where we fit in to a customer's journey or ecosystem. Well, I just learned that one, we need a B2B jargon slash acronym dinger for the show. So I'm going to work on that. So that it comes that up, it's, it's, it's right here on the pad and I can just hit it. That'll be sweet. I like it. And, yeah. And two, Jason, that sounds like a lot of work. Can I just like blast some emails out to some sales reps and, and they know who I am? You can, but you're not going to be very effective with it. You're going to get lost and hung up in the noise. You're not going to build an effective relationship. You're not going to spend the actual time it takes to actually build and, and grow with your partners. And you're actually not going to effectively build a relationship with your potential customer. And I think that's what, what the partner brings to the table with you is that trust, right? The customer of Six Sense, who's your prospect, that prospect has Six Sense's trust. So when Six Sense comes to the table and says, hey, uh, Fortinet, you should talk to these guys Drift over here because they have these they have a play where they can utilize this data you're doing when they hit the website or everything you're pushing through our platform. Here's how it begins to kind of scale and go to the next level. And Fortinet trusts and, Six Sense at that point. So yeah, I mean, I we're 100% on the same page with you. Like it's a trust game, right? And you're using partnerships to almost cheat trust, um, for lack of a better term. But you talked about activating the field and couldn't agree with you more. That's the place to go. But what are some of those activities that you're doing in the field to build that trust with your partners enough for them to say, hey, you should talk to my friends at Sixth Sense because they are, you know, great at this. So building trust with the partners? Yeah, with the field specifically. So when it comes to <clears throat> the partners, one of the things I've done that I, I think has been effective is treating the whole ecosystem as a community right so it's it's great that we would have you know shift as a partner it's great that we would have six cents and sales loft as as partners as well but i think it's even better when they all know each other and they're all talking to one another and you create kind of this what i call it, atmosphere of all these partners and you can create this whole community bringing them together once a month for a news hour uh, communicating to them as if it was just one big massive community and engaging them all so that they're all kind of moving in the same direction. I had this these this layer that I kind of envision it's like a partner program kind of you know the middle of it sits inside of a 
your alliances. The table stakes are your CRMs and your marketing automation platforms. That next layer becomes your tech partners. And then that last layer that takes it all and makes it most effective are your, your agency, your channel partners. There's really two aspects to this, right? Like there's the, the creation of that joint value prop, which to your point earlier, like has to be a storytelling exercise. It has to be that, that better together message. You have to define it. You have to position it in a way that's going to resonate with those customers. But then to Josh's point, like you have to activate that entire ecosystem around that, that value prop. And I think, well, those are both points that we see organizations missing out there, right? Like they, they assume that the, you know, the, the joint customer and even the folks within the partnerships themselves are going to have this natural understanding of why these two partners are better together, which just frankly does not happen. And really we see right. this, you know, articulated in a lot of different ways, depending upon audience, it can be, you know, ROI models and business cases. It can be on the other end of the spectrum, highly narrative driven, you know, advertising yep. results, you know, for a nearest neighbor type, uh, you know, uh, a competitor or, you know, just a relative business to them. But then once you've got that message defined and it's super dialed, like you have to spend a lot of time indoctrinating the, the oh, yeah. entire partner organization and to your point, the entire ecosystem on that better together message. And that requires building trust as well. You're really selling, you know, it's that one to many sale, which is what's mm-hmm. so powerful about, about partnerships. Yeah, no doubt. And, to kind of take all that and to, to kind of wrap it up in what we did at Drift. So when I came on, I was I was tasked with kind of building the tech program. And there wasn't a whole lot of work being done from the field team, a whole lot of work being done from the marketing team. And Sixth Sense was kind of out here looking in like, okay, what are we doing here? We're kind of at that, you know, like the middle school dance. We're like checking each other out. What are we going to do here? Like Everyone's on opposite not. sides of the gym. You're like kind of getting closer, you know? And so I was like, all right, all right, six cents. All right, drift marketing, drift sellers. What if we did this? What if we just spent one entire quarter only focused on six cents? My six six cents, the same thing. We're going to spend an entire quarter just focused on you. I had some ask of their team. Like I want to spend time enabling your CS team, your AEs, and any other, other team that we can get in front of. And I'm, you, you guys have a featured partner on your website. I want to be that featured partner for that quarter. Mm-hmm. That's a mask of them of how we can spend time inside of their world. And then I went to marketing. Justin Keller was VP of marketing there. We worked very closely together. And I said, hey, we're not leading any of our offers or campaigns with a partner. You guys come to us about three quarters of the way through because you need more leads, need more registrations. That's not a fair ask to the partner. What if we started this quarter and we did a couple of initiatives with six cents and it was partner led. Mm-hmm. Can we begin to see what happens in that case? Can we spend up some ABM campaigns utilizing this cross beam data that we've got? Can we build up some chat playbooks that are specific to six cents customers anytime they hit the website? So we began to run some plays there and then went to the sales team and we built out a, a field guide of selling steps of how to sell with our partners specifically mentioning six cents everywhere it would say partner mm-hmm. and so as we begin to enable and train we did a we kicked off the quarter with an all-hand sales training with that with that field guide that began to that broke it down into a much bigger step-by-step guide of how to sell with with six cents and kind of broke down of the when you need intros what do you do when you need intels what do you do when you need influence what do you do made it very plain and clear of how to work with 
Sixth Sense, aka a partner. Because here's the thing, like I knew if we can get it right with Sixth Sense, we can go do that with Sales Loft. We can go do that right. with anybody else. They get it right with one partner and it worked. It worked so well that marketing was like, all right, we're going to go more partner led to the point where 75% of all offers that Drift put out from a marketing campaign was partner led. I love that because it forces what naturally never seems to never happen in partnerships, which is engagement right at the really even in the planning stages is, is what you're talking right. about, right? Like not even, you know, at the interest stage, but like, how are we jointly going to market to your point? Like, how do you integrate those go to market motions so that they are seamless and that they, they really run end to end, which the nat So I, I want to ask you about the elephant in the room there, which is always when I involve the, the belief and I'll position it as a belief because she, you know, uh, fast forward, I, I fundamentally believe this is false, but there is a predominant belief that involving partners slows down deal cycles. How do you combat that? <laughs> uh, I combat it with data. You know, so I what did that, that look we, like? Yeah, I, lo I love that approach, obviously. But like, what did you actually find there when, when, you, when you pulled that data? Deal cycles moved about 40% faster when a partner was involved versus when they were not. Wow. And so we were able to That's close deals. Yeah. And once I took that to the team, they were like, uh, why are we not shouting that from the rooftops? I'm like, why are you guys not listening? <laughs> right. And it was, it, it, we began to look at more and more data like down to like deal size, deal cycle. And I got the, I got support from like our business services team and they began to pull numbers even down to like net retention. And I asked them, I was like, I want to see what the stickiness factor looks like when we have integrations with our partners. And they came back and they were, wow, we didn't realize it was going to be this right. big. So 60%, they were 70% likely to, six or more integrations, 70% likely to stay. Eight or more, mm -hmm. 80%, 10 or more integrations, they did not churn. <laughs> wow. And we were so focused on retention that that became a big driver as well for what we're doing with our customer base, how we're enabling the CS team, how we were communicating the, the integrations that we had with these potential partners. Because, you know, even down to like sales loft, we had, we'll call it 400 mutual customers, but only 100 of them had the integration connected. So therefore I went to market and I was like, okay, if we know this would be true, let's go run some campaigns to get more integrations connected. Yeah. So you had some yes. specific metrics that hit different layers of the field right those retention metrics were obviously important to cs those deal velocity and acv metrics were obviously important to sales was there any other was that incentive enough like what's in it for me enough from a field level to activate those folks or were there any additional incentives that you had to put out there either for your sales team and cs teams or for your partner sales and cs teams to get them motivated to to involve these partners in these conversations. Cause I love the play by play, the step book, you know, you hear this, do this, you hear this, do this. That's great. But is that enough on its own? We found that it was, I mean, it took some time to train and coach to get to the point yeah. where they believed in the play enough. Uh, personally, I, I haven't seen like incentives, like spiffs and stuff like that mm -hmm. work well enough to really, you know, have it be a driver. So it's more around like, how do we, you know, drive you to hit your number faster and more efficiently? And then how do we, you know, bring, bring bigger customers in through our partners? When we know what, when we know what happens when we bring in a six cents customer, when we know what happens when we bring in a sales loft customer, right? When we work with shift paradigm on like an insperity, right? And we bring mm -hmm. those in and we shift to know is exactly the play with six cents sales loft drift, 
right? How it's, how, how, how does the partner solve holistically the problems that our customers face so we can bring that to the table? Yeah, I mean, this really all starts combating what is this fundamental misnomer because we you know, we heard this all the time and I'm I'm rewinding to you know past lives as as services partners for for you know many tech organizations right and that that just belief that you know partnerships slow down deals they derail deals they you know cause complexity in deals and you know without fail we would find that there was no metric behind those beliefs and so, you know, I right. think this is really a, a call to action for, you know, for, you know, I would say just go to market teams in general, but certainly partner teams to pull those metrics. And those those metrics can become so powerful culturally. In fact, we saw this at, at Marketo after hearing years and years of like, I'm not going to bring in a, you know, a partnership. It's going to derail my deal, which, by the way, you know, footnote. That tends to be based on the types of deals that very, very rarely happen. And those are bluebird deals that like would like <laughs> right. close in like, you know, five days. Like that's a rarity. And, you know, you can certainly see how introducing partners could potentially slow that down. I'd say that the the ROI of increasing that deal size, increasing the relationship with the customer far outweighs that. But, you know, I think that's, you know, kind of that misnomer that that where the, the, this belief gets addressed. But we saw at Marketo somewhere around 2016, 2017, they did actually a really good job um, after they had uh, analyzed their launch point ecosystem, which is what their partner ecosystem yeah. effectively used to be called. And when they had three or more launch point connections, i.e. three or more partners involved, like churn went down by 60%. And suddenly, like this must have been introduced at, you know, a board meeting, which, you know, uh, translated down to an RKO and, and so on and so forth. But soon, like everyone had this stat like top of mind, which I think is also what's so important about executive teams getting behind, pulling these metrics and really driving them into the organization. Because after that, it became fundamentally easier to start those conversations. Um, and so, you know, again, I think it's just a complete That's call it. to action for, for teams to actually pull those metrics. And you'll be surprised at what you find. I, I think that's where... Most partner programs that don't get that level of buy-in get it wrong. And what I mean by that is like they're not they're not telling the story with the data. Right. They a they're maybe not even pulling the data or know to pull the data point. or how to get it, but they're also not telling the the narrative internally with that data. I learned early on that that's how that's how you get the buy-in. That's how you get the eyeballs looking your way, and that's where it begins to get really effective is when you can you know bring the receipts to the table. And show them exactly what's working. Yeah, that's a deeper level of commitment, right? Like at all levels. So, you know, the reason I asked about the incentives, the spiffs, and things like that is you you tend to hear that, and it's just a band aid. Nothing actually happens to your point, right? right? Sure, you offer them a gift card or a hundred bucks or two hundred fifty bucks or a thousand bucks, like whatever. It sounds good in theory, but at the end of the day, the approach that you're taking is so customer centric. You're bringing forward all of that pain, all of that data that's relative to the mm -hmm. customer, and you're bringing it into, to use your term, a JVP, and then enabling around that. That is what gets the, it's harder, right? It takes more work, it right. takes more effort, but the payoff in the long run, to Justin's point earlier, is that one to many, right? Like if I found, I spent 80% of my time in the field at Marketo versus, you know, prospecting customers directly, I was gonna get triple the pipeline because of Absolutely. that one-to-many relationship, right? And the insights that I could bring from 
hey, I just talked to five customers last week and here's what they're telling me. That's highly valuable to the Marketo AE and vice versa, right? Like if they come right. back and tell me that that same intel, now instead of, hey, I'm just checking in, what kind of deals do you have in pipelines? Like, dude, I just talked to uh, the biggest medical device company in the world and this is what their marketing team's telling me. Oh shit, you know, you kind of have that dialogue. That's a much better relationship Absolutely. than- that, That's what I love about working with like channel partners or agency partners, like working with you guys back in the day right? Is that you see the whole picture, right? You see what the customer is really trying to solve for and where the tech or those JVPs, so to say, begin to plug in and solve those problems and propose solutions. Right. As to where, like when I'm at Drift or when I'm at Terminus, like we're, we're focused on our own product. We're focused on a singular issue. But well, the, the, like, when I bring you guys to the table, like I, under, I understand, like you guys have a roadmap of what you're going to roll out for all new partners. I know where I fit in. I know kind of a time frame of when you're going to be making that introduction. I could begin to build predictable um, pipeline and forecast based off that. So I have a clear understanding, but also like, okay, well, where is Shift working? Where, 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 where is my ICP within Shift's ecosystem or any agency ecosystem that I should be partnering with as well? And that's something we did at, at Terminus. Right, is how do you begin to be like a, a turnkey go-to ecosystem? Yeah. If you know these agencies are helping you drive, you know, five hundred to a million a year, like who else are they turning on every time they open a new customer? Because I want to partner with those guys as well to make it even more effective. There's a couple hot takes in there. I want to make sure that we don't skip by because they are <laughs> so incredibly important. For the first and foremost, like everyone assumes that most people are coin operated. And so their mind immediately goes to this reward system, which is incredibly superficial. I, I would you know, flip that on its head. Like most people fundamentally above all else want to be good at their job. And if you yeah. can facilitate that performance within their role, it is hot, you know, so much more effective than giving someone a gift card or, you know, whatever, whatever that, you know, like little trinket reward happens to be. Mm -hmm. Now they're is a case for relationship building and taking, you know, getting people in uh, the same location and, you know, doing that really right and kind of doing it up. And I'm not discounting that whatsoever, but like based on like small monetary reward versus like getting fundamentally better and improving it at your position, there, there, there's no competition. The other one uh, uh, there is, you know, what you were talking about in terms of like consulting and agency partners. But, and this is just buyer behavior, right? Like, Fundamentally, when most people buy software, they've already realized a problem, they've analyzed that problem, and they've come up with their own prescriptive solution, and they've gone mm -hmm. to evaluate those providers that play in that area. Consultancies mm -hmm. and agencies really do get brought in at the problem stage if they're a good organization. And so they see a much broader set of those challenges and can inform you know, those, those technology partners based on, on that purview. So I think you know anyone who you know is offering a platform, a point solution, any sort of technology solution should be looking at services partners as a massive relationship and and trust hack, quite frankly. Now yeah, you're spot on, man. Especially like trust hack. If there's any cheat code out there, it's it's the trust factor, and that's what partners bring to the table instantly. You think about if you're in a, trying to form a relationship with somebody, right? If Josh and I were trying to get to know each other. And we didn't have a former you know, relationship or anything, it's going to take a while for us to build that trust, right? Okay. But if I'm bringing you guys into the table as a partner and I'm trying to you know, attach myself to one of your customers or a prospect, like you've already got their trust. And like that's, for sure. you know, I think that's the, the biggest cheat code out there. Like I, I keep a note on my desk that says value builds trust. 
right? And how can you know I make, how can I make this partnership between you and I as valuable as possible? Like how can I be your most accessible, valuable resource as a partner to earn you and your team's trust, so that we can go deeper in our relationship, and therefore get some ROI out of it. Yeah, that's a great note. And I, I think that if you keep that note in, in top of mind, anytime you're going to talk to one of your partners, whether it's a, a CS or or sales representative, you bring that value through some insight about their customer, right? That That is the thing. And, you know, that can make them stickier, that could accelerate a sales cycle, whatever it may be. But that value exchange is is super important. And, you know, we, we talk about it from from the customer standpoint, but I think in your partnership standpoint, it's it's the same same concept. Yeah, we, we spend. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say no, we yeah. spent a lot of time talking about success. I, I want to make sure that we also get in what is always everyone's biggest question, which is like, <laughs> what's your number one partner horror story? Oh man. Going to put me on the spot, with which that is one. which is always difficult to uh, to to pick a top. Yeah, I can't really. I'm not coming up with anything off the top of my head right now. But <laughs> you know, not that I haven't had any. I try to block those out, right? <laughs> but you know, you, you see some that just kind of, and this is something that I've I've been contemplating around from a LinkedIn perspective. And Sam and I, my wife and I, talk about a lot. It's like when you bring the wrong partners on i've had a few occasions where you just kind of try to bring the the wrong partner on for whatever reason maybe you like the people it's a cool sexy brand or or something mm-hmm. along those lines and you know most oftentimes it's cause it's oh uh, this is a cool logo cool brand to partner with you try to bring them on i'm not going to name any names but like it just becomes like not really butting heads but you're just going in two conflicting paths like you're trying to build this relationship and you're both trying to get something different out of it from one another. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really work out. What are some of those early a- red flags? You know, like, cause that's a great, great example. But what are some of those early red flags that you can course correct sooner rather than later and not spend a bunch of cycles? I think early on, if you can begin to recognize, is this going to be a two way street of value? Like, is it going to be value in and value out? Or is the partner just sitting there with their hand out like this? Mm-hmm. kind of thing or am i the one sitting there with my hand out like this like i've right. caught myself where like you gotta i gotta hit a number like I'm, my hand's out but i'm not thinking like okay if, if my hand's out is there something for them to grab or i'm just waiting for something to come in it's a great point like you can start to see you know patterns in these early stage partners like okay you're just in this to try to make a quick grab or try to get something out of it you're not really interested in investing in the relationship or investing into like the long-term play of how we solve problems you just kind of want to get a quick revenue hit and yes you're a sexy logo but no i don't think we should continue partnering uh you can remain in the ecosystem but we will not provide any support from a person perspective yeah there's a certain you know very large crm provider out <laughs> there that um encapsulate i've had experiences that have encapsulated everything that that you just mentioned right there and and you know it fundamentally if i think back at the 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 reasons for that and what led to that misalignment is the inability to do the exact kind of cheat codes that you've outlined here right like there really never was a great number one alignment off the you know off the starting gate there never was that joint value prop 
uh, assembly. It, it was very much just assumed because of the size and scale of this particular partner and the demand, quite frankly, for their product. Okay. And then there never was a, a joint go-to-market motion that was comprehensive. It was truly, here's our web form. You fill this out when you've got something for us to, you know, to engage with. And immediately when you hit submit on that button, the tendency to lose control of that deal cycle was exponential because right. you had two partners operating with, with two different goals in mind, with really need neither of which was in the best interest of that customer. So it's a, yeah. it's a great uh, piece of context on, on what, everything you've been talking yeah. about here. And there, there was one in particular, like where I'll, there was a million dollar partnership and I walked away from it because they began to change kind of their, their tune. We had a was partnered for a year and drove a lot of revenue and they began to just change their overall tune and tone of how we were working together. Like, oh, we're not going to introduce you to any new um, accounts that you're not already involved with already. Mm-hmm. Oh, we want a bigger cut of the rev share now. Yep. I'm like, okay, well, what's actually in it for us? <laughs> like, you're right. This is cool. But if I've already got open opportunities, I mean, I'm already, you know, kind of down the, the path a little bit, like, I kind of want to be able to help you guys out and get some, you know, new wins out of it. Cause that's honestly what I'm gold after. And then they yeah. tried to get more, you know, long-term revenue out of it, like to the tune of like three years. And that didn't match our, our strategy, our structure. I couldn't do it. So I was like, had to, had to cut ties and it was a big brand that that's I was tough. like, well, we got to, we got to part ways here in the contract in the agreement. Yeah, I think that's such an indicator of lack of alignment, not only between the partners, but internally between the executive team. Because I feel like when big edicts like that come down, for some reason, they tend to always come down in Q1. And it's coming off the tail of an executive planning session, a board meeting, uh, something that's changed in the business, a headwind or whatever. And now the partner team is is being forced to, to mm-hmm. come in line with this new direction. And, and to your point, like, so critical that you maintain that alignment over time because those winds of change can can you know start blowing yeah. in a different direction pretty quickly. The, the tough part about what you just said, I'm laughing because like I walked away from that that partnership because it just wasn't in the company's best interest, and uh, it was obviously the the partner program's fault, right? right. Like sure. myself myself and the finance team made the decision like this isn't in our best interest, so let's walk away. But the sales team, on the other hand, was like, what the hell? Why do right. we have this? I'm like, trust me, you don't want to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, my horror stories are very similar. It, same CRM company and, and and another one, but they both come back to that lack of ability to have any sort of executive alignment, right? It, it's just right. you fall in line with what they want and like it or not, this is how it's going to be. So if you're you're not able to truly engage at the business planning and executive level, what's going to happen? And then you really couldn't engage at the field level either. I couldn't go like find a patch of reps that I could make a build a relationship with and, hey, let's work deals together. It's like, listen, either you're bringing me something or you're not. And when you right. do, I'm going to throw you under the bus before you even get a chance. So, you know, it, it, it's pretty crappy, very one-sided, like you said, handout. Um, and then those executive edicts, I've been on that side of it too, where it yeah. didn't work out well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, got it. I, one thing I've tried to do to, to solve for that early on is, so even at, at, at Drift, we would have Slack channels for this, but creating that executive alignment early on. So you have like an executive channel, a director channel, and then the whole field team channel within Slack to cool create those, keep, keep that interaction going, try to do quarterly calls with the exec team 
from us to partner. So the CROs, VP of sales, I'll get on a call, chat, and then yep. you get the director levels chatting, just trying to figure out like where, where what's the narrative, where the ops were working, what's where we currently seeing from a revenue perspective and just kind of bouncing things back and forth and seeing that work fairly well to keep the teams tightly aligned. So that it's not just all on me, but I can go to the CRO and say, hey, you know, what are you working on with CRO over there? Yeah, really. I mean, everything in business, and I think we we lose sight of this quite often, is an exercise in building trust and and trying to influence someone else's behavior. And I think, you know, once you get that that relationship built, we have such a tendency to just be like, hey, go do this without all of the, this is why this makes sense for you. Here's all the context. Here's where we're winning. Here's the great customer stories that we've been able to generate. This is in our best interest. And by the way, it's going to help you again within your role perform better. Like we we lose a lot of that uh, that context. Um, and mm-hmm. and when we do, I think the the, the results just kind of speak for themselves in in that regard. I think there's a Not lot of gem in your in your Slack hack there. Uh, totally. You know, beyond the. Beyond the fact that you've got everybody there, they're aligned and whatnot, you know, executives probably aren't going to engage a ton. But one thing I do know is the visibility they like. So you're mm-hmm. you're you're like creating this little channel of visibility that they're going to put their eyes on because if there's revenue attached to it, there's this and that. Um, I think that's a little hack that people should uh, yeah. should jump on. That's pretty. It's cool. effective because if you're working a big deal, like you don't want to get the CRO involved in everything, but there's a big right. enough deal to pull them in on, like, and they can drop a quick note. To their peers over there, like that makes yeah. a difference. Yeah, that gets and they, them involved, and they can see that activity. Yeah, that I think like, the yeah. visibility is super cool. So, hey man, I, again, really appreciate you you joining us here today. If people want to connect with you and like check out some of the really cool stuff that you're doing, and certainly the podcast, where where can they go? Sure, I'm uh, probably way too active on LinkedIn these days, so you can find me there, <laughs> Jason Yarborough, or LinkedIn slash n slash Yarby. I uh, kind of leaned into the whole Yarby thing all the way early on. Uh, but yeah, my my wife and I, that's the uh, the random Montana woman that I run the podcast with. She's also <laughs> in partnerships. We have a, a lovely podcast called Friends with Benefits. It is a podcast about revenue generating relationships, not about oh, business time with friends, dang. if you catch that. Uh, yeah, we... <laughs> I'm, I'm, funny no, I'm funny just stories kidding. about that. Yeah, you're not the only person this week. <laughs> <laughs> You can find that on all the, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, wherever you want to catch your, your podcast. All the regulars. Yeah. Well, again, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time. Great insights. Really enjoyed it. And great. Once, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And if you're, whether you're joining us, uh, you know, coming off season one and, and joining us for season two, or if you're finding us for the first time and you haven't subscribed, please do so really helps us get the uh, the message and, and these great stories out there. Again, thanks to Jason Yarby Yarborough for for joining us and, and laying down these uh, all these hot takes here today. I think there's just some critical points for not only partnership teams, but really the entire organization out there. Uh, this has been another great episode of the GTM Cheat Code, season two, all about partnerships. And we'll see you next time. Growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. 
What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code.